Welcome to Your Cases on Hold, a JBJS podcast hosted by Antonia Chen and Andrew Schoenfeld. Here, we discuss the science in each issue of JBJS with an additional dose of entertainment and pop culture. Take us with you in the gym, on the commute, or most certainly, whenever your case is on hold. Welcome everyone to a special Your Case is on Hold, like those Saturday morning TV specials where they would, you know, tell you not to take candy from strangers or whatnot. This is a special bonus episode uh, where Antonia and I are going to be talking with some of the country's best residency program directors, getting insights and demystifying the orthopedic residency match. We'll just go a brief introductions here. I'm Andrew Schoenfeld, Deputy Editor for Methods at the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, but we're not talking uh, orthopedic science today. We're talking about the science of matching at an orthopedic program. And we'll just go around the Zoom to my co-host first. I'm Antonia Chen, Deputy Editor of Adult Reconstruction, which I still think is the best subspecialty out there, but I'm clearly outnumbered by those on this call. Save it for the fellowship match uh, episode. Craig. I'm Craig Everson. I was a program director at Brown University for 10 years. I'm now the vice chair of education and uh, excited to be here. Monica. Uh, I'm Monica Kogan. I am the program director at Rush University, and I've been the program director for eight years and also uh, very grateful to be here. Chris. I am Chris Bono, and I'm at MGH in Boston. I am currently the program director of HCorp, which is the Harvard Combined uh, Orthopedic Residency Program. And I'm going to do my best McLaughlin group sort of hosting here. I'm going to pitch the topic. We're all going to kind of hopefully talk about it. And uh, but I won't like then say, and this is the right answer. There are no right answers. It's all opinions. Take it for what it's worth. But I think there's going to be some really incredible and interesting insights um, going forward in this new landscape for the, the orthopedic residency match. So we'll go right into it. The first topic that we want to discuss is how should candidates identify programmates? And I will also say, just as sort of, uh, you know, while some of us are maybe co-located in kind of the Northeast, don't let that mislead you. There's a lot of experience here in terms of residency and fellowship and other programmatic experience that spans the country, myself in, in Ohio, and I've been in Texas and Michigan, and Antonia has been in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and now in Boston, and Craig did his fellowship in Texas, has been in the Northeast, and Chris did his fellowship in California, and Monica did her fellowship in Utah, and trained in Chicago, and then was in Oakland. So we have, you know, basically covered the the continental United States here in terms of experiential processes. So let's talk about the first thing. What guidance do you give to the aspiring orthopedic surgeon in terms of identifying programs where they are going to train? Can I chime in and say um, how not to identify programs? Definitely. Okay. I would say do not identify programs by the Google Doc. I don't know how everyone on here feels about it, but you know, I would say probably that is not the best source. And I would say that probably one of the best sources would be to talk to other residents, medical students that have gone through programs, rotated at programs to get to kind of pick their brains and as well as attendings just to see what their perception is, what their knowledge is about programs and based on the applicant's CV where they feel that they'd have a good chance of matching. I would agree, uh, you know, that um, 
you know, talking to uh, as many people as possible is, is probably the best thing. I think what's really hard when we advise is it's hard to match anywhere. There's no safety programs, right? So I think maybe the first step is trying to identify which, which students really are not likely to match at all. And if you have someone, I think a lot, a lot of them are very accomplished. And, and that's a matter of trying to kind of separate programs into, you know, are you going to want to be the type of person that really wants to dive in? And, and do a lot of research in a, in a lab, you know, when you're a resident, or is that not what you're really interested in? Or is there a particular part of the country? I mean, it's almost, it's, it's challenging, but I think it's really hard because if they limit themselves, it's really hard to match an orthopedic. So I think, you know, so separating a little bit, we try to have the, there's some folks that clearly want to go into academics. And I think that you can kind of steer them to certain larger programs that, that go that way. But I, I find that's the biggest challenge is really just trying to figure out who is not going to match. Um, it's not always easy to do that either. Yeah, I, I would dovetail on that. It, it's definitely a matter of being realistic. And I, and I know that's something that we'll discuss in a little bit. I have some standard questions that I ask the, the students when they're coming in geographically, if they have any preferences, although we don't want to restrict so much geographically that someone doesn't match if they want a big program, a small program. So there's some variables there whether it's a private practice or an academic program. And I think you touched on some of those, but those are the, the kinds of questions that I ask. And, and then we get into more specifics of, you know, how good of a candidate do you think you are? And that gets into the difficulty of, of matching and trying to pair up the realistic expectations of, oh, I want to match at the best program in the country, which is that, versus, well, here's where you can match and here are your options about these these are these are the programs that are within your reach and would be a, a reasonable thing, but definitely the online information about programs is probably not the most reliable. Word of mouth is definitely the way to go, and uh, particularly the the class that just matched, you know, the, the current intern class, they've been all over the place. They knew the ins and outs, so that's a great resource for for the medical students. Antonia, any thoughts on your end? Whenever I talk to med students, I mean, I, these guys are the experts in this area, you know, but it is about finding the best program for someone, right? People always say, okay, well, I just want to go to these top five programs, and that's not always the best thing. So short answer is find something that what matches with someone. And I always tell people in the same school to diversify their interests as well, too. Um, a lot of times people apply all to the same program, and probably a program is not going to take every single student from the same school as all as their matching class. So if they can all talk amongst each other, tell them the top one or two, and try to move away from each other, that seems to be pretty helpful as well. What do you all think about from the standpoint of identifying programs some of the guidance that I give, and, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here, is you, you have to know first, and I think you touched on some of this, what you're looking for. What you're what what is it that you ultimately may want to do? Some won't know. Some are really into like brand name recognition. They want to be at an Ivy League program, which point of fact, like Ivy League schools are universities that not, doesn't necessarily translate to the to the residency program or the hospital that has the name, but be that what it may, or they want to be at, you know, the school where the, the it's a big 10 school because they want to be involved in the, the football aspect of the sports medicine program, or they want to get a, a, a national championship ring, or the, they do the NFL coverage and they want a Super Bowl. I mean, there's so many people who come with so many like kind of ridiculous ideas as to how they're identifying programs. But what 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 do you think about this kind of concept? which is, you know, you have, you have, they should look at sort of the entire universe of programs, understand where all the programs are, and then 
understand their own background. For example, someone who was born in New York City, went to school in Connecticut, then uh, for undergrad, and then did college in Boston or went back to New York City for med school, and is then trying to apply to a program in Texas. Why is that Texas program going to think that that you're really going to come there? <laughs> like you've got no no connection to Texas. You have no relationship to Texas. So you have to identify where your narrative, both your background and the experience that you bring to the table, you want to go into academics, you have an academic portfolio, and then kind of look at, at the programs sort of in a tiered fashion, maybe. But I would say the only caveat to that is the signals now allow the Texas schools to look at the Boston, the New York, the Northerner, and say, this person is serious about coming here, they gave us a signal. So I do think that that is the benefit of the signal insofar as for those people, you know, who grew up in Georgia and did everything in Georgia and then want to go to San Francisco for whatever reason, they want to expand their horizons, they like the programs, whatever it may be, it then allows the West Coast schools to say, or programs to say, you know what, this person is is serious about it. Yeah. So, you know, thinking back to when I applied, I would say that everything you just said, Andrew, would be would be correct because I was a crappy candidate. So there, there was no way that a California school was going to be looking at me. A Texas school was going to be looking at me. You know, a Midwest school was going to be looking at me. It, it was really just uh, my chances were in New York City. And, you know, they, they, they would look at a kid who was raised in Brooklyn and, and Staten Island and never really left, went, went to school there. And yes, that's the best possible chance I have. But would definitely agree that in in different circles, in different levels of candidacy, you know, someone who's who's been to Northeast schools, undergrad, med school, they may be a, a great fit. They may have family that's uh, that's out west that you know on paper you don't really see, and and they may be looking to get out there. I think the signaling definitely helps, and also just building that argument in your personal statement and and other information. It's like, hey, listen, I'm really interested in changing my environment. I want to be in the Midwest. I'm looking for a, a you know a hardworking program where I'm going to be seeing some some different kinds of, of patients. You know, I have I have students that come by, they have very specific ideas about what they are looking for in a program. Others don't really, and they say all of the regular things. I want a large program. I want a, a, a diverse program. I want this. You, know, you can almost read off all the the different bullet points, but really, what they're telling you is they just they want to match in a program. That's a different kind of conversation with that candidate. Yeah, Chris, just to, just to highlight that, I, you know, I, I think that you know, um, we all know the students are not shy about reaching out, right? We all get just you know our inboxes are inundated. So so since that pathway is kind of there. You know, if someone says, you know, Brown is, most of you are local, know um, we have a six-year trauma fellowship. And so when I have someone reach out to me, and again, they maybe are from California and they say, you know what, I'm really interested, you know, in, uh, you know, I have a military commitment and the trauma sounds outstanding and et cetera. You know, they, they put the time in, you've researched the program and you're explaining why you're a good fit. To your point, you know, there's nothing more kind of, you know, false or fake appearance than when someone doesn't signal your program and then you get the email and say, and they basically cut and paste from your website what's great about your program and uh, with no clear relationship. So I think that's a good way to hurt yourself. But I think reaching out, explaining why you think you're a good fit for a program never, I think, is wasted. You know, if an applicant really says, 
you know, I really looked at this program in uh, Oklahoma and I think it's great for me because of X, Y, and Z, but I grew up in Cleveland. You know, you, you reach out and you, you know, you make your case. And I, and I think that, that with that plus a signal, I think makes up for the fact that geographically you otherwise would be excluded. And ask you guys a question, and I think I know the answer to this, but is the strongest signal from a geographic standpoint doing an away elective at your place, or is the signal enough to show that? Well, the away, I mean, they're, they're, they're more valuable, right? It's kind of like if you have the golden egg and you have one golden egg and 10 regular eggs and you give me a regular egg, uh, say, geez, why'd you give Monica the golden egg? You know, because you like Monica better. So, you know, the ultimately, you know, and then we're going to get into this later, but, you know, what we struggle with is, you know, I think we all complain about how we have no grades, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would look at it from the perspective of a student. If you don't have grades or scores, how do you shine? How do you show that you are really special and you're going to work hard and this is important to you. We spend a lot of time evaluating our rotators and we, we make sure to get to know them. And I think that's really, that's the ultimate signal because you only have so many away rotations. Do you all advise or think it's reasonable to say as you do, you see more frequently now in looking at undergrad or medical school programs where you say, all right, come up with a list. These based on your what you bring to the table. These are going to be reach programs or dream programs. These are programs that are matches. As you said, there are really no safeties. There's no one that you can bank on, but it's sort of like, you know, your home program or a program where you've rotated at and you have good connections. If that's not your, you know, your number one choice, like programs that you can sort of say, look, you know, you're going to at least get interviews because you got to get your foot in the door. Of course, it's not even just about the application process. Step one, if you don't get interviewed, you're not getting ranked. So um, you at least want to have where you have a good number of interviews. Ultimately, it's a numbers game, right? Yeah, very much. And and that has to be a very forthright conversation. And again, I've been I've been doing this as a program director just for a year, but obviously I've been in academics for you know close to 22. I find myself being brutally honest with students now as as a program director, because I've seen it on the other side where people don't match. And people are not matching because they got bad advice and they got bad information. So you you have someone in front of you who thinks that they are the most you know tragic story ever. That they came from the most paltry background and they crawled and and, and got to this point. And I had someone say, "Don't you think I have like a, an amazing success story?" I said, "Yeah, you do, but I've heard it before." So let's talk about everything else that's going to set you aside. Let's think about what's unique about you. And let's look at everything objectively that is going to make you a fit for one program or another so that we're not just highlighting those two or three big name programs that everyone feels like they should rotate at. I agree. But I also think that that is such a difficult conversation, not just to have, but for the students to actually listen to. And that has been one of my biggest struggles is trying to get them to understand, you know, and I I continually say, listen, it was a 60% match rate. Somebody is not going to match. And, you know, you have to be strategic. And my medical school is one that kind of wants everybody to do whatever they want and kind of builds them up. And they've never heard anybody say, you know what, that may not be possible. You know, where you're doing your away rotations is not really where you should be doing is, is, isn't probably not going to be in your best interest. If you've never done any research to be at the institutions that you're at and your grades are average to below average, you need to 
go to places that don't focus on those things. And it's really hard for me to kind of get them to hear that. And, you know, all I can do is raise my hands up and say, I tried. I don't know if you guys have more success, but, and if you do, if you can share it, I would love to hear how you get the point of you, you be as heartfelt as you can. And again, and you know, you've got eight years of experience. I, I feel like I'd be here. I always preface it before I told them, I said, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. And then afterwards I said, I hope you took this as encouragement and, and realistic feedback because you don't want to not match. And hopefully that sits in. But yeah, a lot of these a lot of these kids are not even kids, but compared to us, maybe they're kids, but they're overachievers. They've been praised their entire lives and their careers, and they've they've always had success. And this might be the first time that they're told, hey, you're you're not, you know, you're not the valedictorian of this class. I think it's it's a definite struggle. Our, our institution as well. I mean, I think is very liberal in terms of you know if you if you if you will it, you can do it, which is not always true. And we we had a big uptick, which I think a lot of people did in North in their. You know, we had fourteen students a couple of years ago going into orthopedics, and when all fourteen of them want to rotate at the same hospital and are applying to the same programs, as you might expect, there we had three amazing people, and they got interviews everywhere, and no one else got interviews anywhere. So I, I think that. You know, we actually, you know, sitting down with our dean of student affairs, Monica, and and, uh, and saying, you know, we can avoid this. And what we really recommend is let's kind of, we, if nothing else, we can compare our students to each other in terms of strength of application. I don't know who's applying to our program or what the national averages are going to be this year, but we can say if this person has all A's and this person has all C's, the all A candidate is stronger, and therefore. We can maybe strategize, and, and and it's really been helpful. And what we've seen is our match rate, I think, is better every year in terms of kids understanding, you know, I, I'd rather match in a program that I can consider to be an average program and then work really hard and do a great job and get a great fellowship and be great orthopedist than get denied by only applying to what I consider to be the top programs and not match at all. And I think, you know, Chris's point, you know, it's no one's going to say, well, you know, you hear all the time, I wish I got better advice. I mean, they're grownups, they appreciate, uh, but it's hard because we're, we're just not bred to, to mean we want to support them. But, but I do think, you know, it also, it, you know, what's hard for me, right, is if I asked all of you guys, you know, what are the top programs? I mean, there's no answer it's a, for what? You know, I mean, there's so many ways to do it. And that's what's hard. And I know we've tried with the, uh, you know, the Oren network and, it's so hard. So I think, you know, we try to keep our kids separated so we don't have clusters all applying to the same program. And we try to be realistic based on previous applicants who have matched to the program or where, you know, I know that if I call Monica and I say, hey, this person's really good, you know, she might believe me and that might give that person, a, you know, an advantage. But it, I'd be really interested, you know, to hear how you guys decide who's the top candidate and do you sit down program by program? Or do you say these are some generalities, this smaller program that's maybe geographically not as you know desirable may not be as competitive. And the program that's in a great location with great faculty, that's tons of research, you know, maybe, a, I mean, otherwise, how do you, how do you sort those things out? That, that's, that's a totally one question. of the topics on the vetting candidates. So I, we should go right into it. Yeah, I think that's a tall question. And, and what, what you just highlighted there, Craig, is that the the A's and C's and A's and B's, we have less of those because we don't have board scores anymore, at least part two, uh, part one. We do have part two. We don't have med school transcript. Everything is pass fail. So what are those other qualifications? 
I've been putting more stress on publications because it's something that the the students can control. It does demonstrate that same kind of thing. Like what they did for part one is they cranked it and they cranked it because they knew it was competitive to get into orthopedics. And now we don't have that. So if if we get them early enough, then we can say, okay, listen, this is going to be a, di- a distinguisher or a differentiator between you and somebody else. What else is going to be in that category? It's hard to say because we don't have a lot of other metrics to go by. But based on based on the metrics that we have, which are, hey, have you done any kind of global health something? Have you done some outreach? Have you done these, you know, what what is what are your extracurricular qualifications? Have you started a foundation? Did you did you get another degree? I mean, all these amazing things that I never did, and maybe a lot of us never did or even thought to do, but these these candidates have to because they need to differentiate themselves. So if we see 10 pubs, 15 pubs, I did a, a research year, I you know did X, Y, and Z stuff and, and went overseas and did all this volunteerism. Okay, now we can say, give me the list of the programs that you think that you are interested in. We can give them some feedback on those and then add some others to the list that they probably never thought of. And, and sometimes even for us, you have to go through like the whole Rolodex. I'll, I'll look at the map. It's like, okay, let's let's think about some regions. Oh, I, I forgot about Chicago. Oh, I forgot about Texas. Or I forgot about, uh, well, no one forgets. No one forgets about California, but that those are tough to get in. Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting, I mean, those are great points. And I, I think we all agree on, on most of that. We have some a similar thing. But what really, ultimately, from our side of the point, you know, can you look at someone and tell me exactly what you think portends someone who, who's going to be a good resident? And we don't know, right? And there's nothing more demoralizing than sitting down with someone and hearing how, you know, she spent two summers in the NIH and she really understood her research and it's amazing. And then they're graduating. I said, really, one paper in five years, one paper? Well, I did it all already. So, I mean, and, and that person shouldn't necessarily get forced into that role. And so we see a lot of, I did this because I thought I was supposed to do it. And, you know, and the other thing is, you know, um, going to a small, relatively small research based when I went to med school, really, it was very difficult. I mean, you know, I had one publication, right? So you, you look at people and say, you might not be at a medical school where there either is A, an orthopedic department or B, an opportunity to get involved in research. And publications, as you said, are an easy thing to look at. But, you know, it's what do you do with your opportunity? So that's when it gets really tricky. And I think ultimately, and I hate to say this because this puts a lot of work in our basket, right, is the phone calls, the discussions, you know, um, and we we try to get to know our students, I mean, for self-preservation really early, you know, as first-year students because they're all in it interested. And it's a lot easier when you feel like, okay, I really know this person and I can reach out personally. Uh, And you hope this doesn't degenerate, but it's headed there into a, we're going to all make phone calls to each other and we're going to figure out who's going to be good. And, you know, when I hear from someone, I know them really well, I think they'd be a great fit for your program and and et cetera. That's as valuable almost as any other thing that's on their application. Yeah. I just want to echo that. I mean, I will say that we contact almost everybody on the list, you know, somebody, the residents are reaching out to other residents to get the scoop on the students. And it's not just, especially if someone did a research year, and I'm not dogging people who did a research year, but talking to the research, just talking to the people that they did research with, I have found is not super helpful because typically those applicants have worked their tail off for the year. They've gone there, they've done what was supposed to be done. 
and they worked hard and that's what the research people are going to say. And they just know them from the research perspective. And I'm sure we all have had people who've done a year of research and come into residency and, you know, didn't do any research or, you know, we're blah, we're blah residents. And then you've got other applicant, other residents that did nothing during medical school because they came from medical school without it. And we're phenomenal residents. And so, you know, I just think talking to people to get the true scoop on them, their work ethic, how they interact with people, how they interact with patients, their professionalism, their um, commitment to orthopedics, I think is, is priceless. Yeah. And, and it really comes back to that, to the rotation, you know, we're, we talked about sub-eyes. seeing a candidate live, you know, very quickly who's just got it and who doesn't. And I, I hate to, I, I hate to say in, in, you know, you're like, you're prejudging somebody or judging them based on a small interaction. You know, what they show us as attendings is, is one thing. And then we have to validate it with, okay, this person is, is, you know, doing all the right things in clinic with you, but when they're back in the resident room, they're not, you know, they're not pulling their weight. You know, you you have all those those data sources, but it doesn't take very long to figure out who that person is. And the person that might have had 20 publications, but can't put together, you know, the the arm board in the operating room, which is made out of two pieces. You know, is that someone I want to teach how to do <laughs> a knee replacement or spine surgery? Probably not. What about the importance of, and I think you're touching on some of this, but you're going to get a certain, you're going to get three letters or something like that from other surgeons in the space who are going to be telling you about these, these candidates. I think the importance of the letters in this environment are exponentially, they were always important and now it's even higher. I think you guys may be talking around it, but you're not speaking directly to it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. The interesting thing, what I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on the author, right? The study that said that a third of applicants are ranked in the top five, fifth percentile. You know, we we made an effort through the AOA with the standardized letter, but there's still this thought, if I put it in writing, you know, it's like Lake Wobegon, right? You know, uh, all the children above average. And we need to do a better job of policing ourselves and writing honest letters. I mean, somebody, I mean, we're, when you look at that form, right? The, the standard form. It's compared to all orthopedic applicants, right? So in theory, some excellent residents were average orthopedic applicants. No one, if you get, if you get a 50 across the board, you're not matching. And so I think that it's really hard. And we, we, you know, we still go back to the code words. This person will be a solid resident. She will yes. do an, a, a great job. You will be happy. And so I, I think ultimately the, the, the um, rotation is so important. But I, and I do think that's one of the great things about CORD is, you know, um, we all do know each other and we all do run into each other. And I think that your ability and, and I think they have to understand is you can't do this to every program, but your ability like so Chris can say, OK, you're my student. This is your number one program. I am happy to reach out to someone that I know there. And that's still supersedes the letter of recommendation. We all have friends whose letters are all rosy. And I say, gosh, you know, hey, you know, Joe, you like everybody, but who do you like more in this group? Because I'm having a hard time figuring it out. But but we almost do a disservice because our letters of recommendation are just like the pass on the boards. Everyone has good scores. Not that I have a bias towards that. I, I will also say, and I was part of that East Lore committee, and I'm a huge fan of the East Lore. But with that said, I cannot stand the where this person ranks in the program because for many reasons, number one, that means different things to different people like rank to match for some people means if we go down to 60, which we don't, but if we go down to 60 every year, 
then that a candidate who's, you know, 49 is ranked to match and other people it's their top five or their top eight, how many they rent. So I don't like it for that reason. The other reason is, you know, there's some students that I think just our program is very specific to people who do well. And I think that there's some students personality wise, learning wise that may not do well in our program, but would thrive in another program that may have other characteristics that are better served for their learning style and and everything else about them. And so they may not do well in our program, but they may, and it's not that they're not a good applicant. They're a great applicant, but just the way that we do things, they just may not be a great fit. So I, I don't, I don't like that portion. Yeah, it, it is really tough. I think reading into the letters is, is tough. We all feel like we can read into the, the words. I wish we just had like a, a common, a common language that we all agreed upon when we say, if if we said this applicant would be very good for your program, that would mean they don't want them back. You know, things like that, which I, I know are not possible. The letters definitely become, uh, you know, to, to what you started with, Andrew, is the letters have become much more important in uh, in this whole thing without the scores. So that's for sure. It, it's what we rely on beyond whatever else we can see as far as the the, the rest of the list of criteria. It's really tough. I think that even the advice that we give to the students on who should be writing their letters, every student, whatever choice that they have, it could be in it could be a one or a two. They will be labor whether they should choose one or two, and they think that there's going to be some you know some end of the world decision if they make the wrong choice, even though we don't even know what the wrong choice would be. So, do you get a letter from a big name person who barely knows them or knows them? just mild, you know, moderately, and it's going to be a vanilla letter. But that big name person is going to have a lot of context and, and, and someone may reach out to that, that big name person or someone who's lesser well-known, but really got along with this person, really knows this person and can give them a, a, a true letter that shows, hey, I've known this person since they, since they were an MS1. This is a person of character. This is a person of, of work ethic. That's going to be a stronger letter. Now, what's the hybrid there is, is you know, you can do a, a co-signed letter there. Um, I know a lot of the, the the candidates are asking about that as well. It's difficult because at the end of the day, you want to believe everything that's written in the letter, but you can't. And you have to try to tease it out and say, okay, this sounds too good to be true, or this sounds like someone that is just going to be a good fit for our program. Let's come back to uh, a, a newer development in the uh, residency match process, which we some touched on earlier, the signaling feature. Demonstrated interest, previously so important. This is a way that you can demonstrate your interest. Tell me you all about what your thoughts are on the advantages, disadvantages, how you adjudicate signaling. I think, you know, someone mentioned, I think Monica mentioned before, it, this does kind of uh, eliminate some of the issue with, the, you know, I don't believe you're really coming all the way out here from California because you signaled, you know, I think it's terrific. And I, and I think, I think we did this right this year, you know, that 30 was, is, you know, it's hard to complain. You don't have enough signals when you have 30 signals. Um, I still got students. I got the email. Brown is, uh, absolutely one of my favorite programs. I find them a great fit for whatever, and they didn't rotate or signal our program. So that made it very easy to pass, you know, but it also tells you how the students felt pressure to reach out beyond their signals. I think, you know, the data is pretty clear, you know, signaling, um, you know, 
gives you an advantage and not signaling gives you a big disadvantage. And, uh, but I do think, you know, to the point that everyone made earlier, we now have one other obligation, which is to, when you advise them, it's how do I spend my, my tokens? How do I do my signals? And I think it's just like a college list. I have a, you know, my, my last kid is uh, going to be a senior next year. So I'm, I'm almost done with this, you know, uh, uh, treadmill of college applications, but you know, here's your, your, pretty solid chance. Here's where I'd love to go. Here's a reach. And you have to distribute your signals accordingly. But I, I think it's really been one of the better things that that orthopedics has done um, to make the match as fair as possible. So we only took people who signaled. We didn't review any single application of anybody who didn't signal. And not just that, we also had a supplemental essay. So we had a thousand or so people apply. Uh, we got our signals down to maybe 400. And then half of those people only did the essay. So we only reviewed people that did the essay. So that made it so much better than it did. Like we were able to, because if somebody isn't willing to put in 30 minutes to do an essay, what does that say about them for the, for five years? So that was our take on it. And I thought we'd get a lot of pushback from people on the committee and everyone was completely on board, but it definitely made going through the applications a lot more palatable and allowed us to really go through them a little bit more thoroughly. That right there is worth the price of admission. That right there like makes this just somebody who's listening, I think you just got some insight that is so invaluable. Thank you so much for 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 sharing that. Chris, what 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 were you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is our committee was not that fond of the of the extra essay. And this is something that that uh, Antonia had had uh, brought to me and, and I proposed to the committee. And the the response was uh, kind of lukewarm, but I'm going to keep working on them. And we're a big place and we have a lot of lot, lot of people that are entrenched in tradition. Uh, but the weed out is is tough. Now, what works in our favor is we have a lot of faculty that can that can screen out these applications. So we'll have a whole bunch of people that are able to go through everything. So our initial screen in the past was, of course, a board score and then you know, eliminate a couple of other uh, different things. You know, we, we may have some, some different metrics this year, but then we're going to still have probably about 400 applications to go, to go through. We're, we're still going to review those. And then based on that, yes, signaling, it goes very high up on the list. And if there's any, if, if there's any question between someone who signaled you and didn't signal you, yeah, I mean, it's not even a question. So um, it, it's it's important. I have heard of other subspecialties um, similarly that they they are not they're they're not looking at anybody anybody who has not signaled them. So uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if we go there at some point. You mentioned this, Craig, and I want to follow up on it and throw it back out to the group because I think it is really important for those who are tuning in and listening to to hear this and to really think about this strategically. You have those thirty signals they should not just go to the number one through 30 um, like top ranked orthopedic programs in whichever way you're going to rank it. You mentioned sort of looking at it as you have these different buckets and you should pick a certain number from each of those buckets. And it shouldn't be signaling all in your top dream bucket. Most of them should probably go to the, to the lower two, really. You want to ensure that you are getting interviews because a program that does not interview you you cannot rank them, and they cannot rank you. That's a, that's a really uh, that's a really great point, and uh, it's challenging. But that goes back to what Chris was saying about you know the honesty and just trying to really you know give them a sense, because you know they they don't they don't really know. We 
we have the perspective. And so sometimes that, that there's a disconnect to be with, you know, where they think they stand and where they really stand. That's what signaling um, really does. But I, I think it also encourages them to really spend the time and figure out, you, know, you should have a reason why you're applying to a program, you know, and uh, that's, there's not always a reason. You know, before they were saying, oh, apply to all of them or, hey, California's nice in the winter. I'd like to be out there. I'll apply to all the California programs and you know nothing about them. Um, the other thing is, I don't know how much this happens, but I know, you know, at the lower level, the college level, the medical school level, you might have somebody who has a real interest and uh, in applying to a program, but they almost seem overqualified. You know, it's a program that doesn't do a lot of research or is smaller. And this person is like, you know, done everything all along, but they find something enticing about that program. And they really are interested. And, and, you know, and I, and I think that that's the other value of the signal or, or reaching out and saying, you know, because even though it's not supposed to matter, right, we're supposed to rank applicants in our order. If uh, the person who is number one is very unlikely to come to your program, they're still your number one. But we have these discussions all the I mean, how many times you guys have been in a ranking meeting? Oh, she'll never come here. Right. I mean, it shouldn't matter. Right. It shouldn't matter at all. But we all do that. Right. And so I think, you you know, you really have people and we've had people that I think, you know, didn't match. And, you know, uh, and you'd say, I, I can't understand it. I mean, this person should have been the top of everyone's list. And, you know, you start talking to people and they say, well, we, we thought she'd never come here. So we didn't rank her as that, which is dumb. Right. Because they all missed out on an X. So I think that's the other part of it, too. It's not just for the weaker applicants, but it's for anyone to say, I'm really serious about your program. Uh, that's really important. And, and I, I think we talked about it earlier, you know, along those lines, s- spread it out. You know, uh, you, yes, there's no safe program, but yeah, there are going to be programs that you have a better shot at matching into. You may have some stretch programs, but you, you have to spread it out. And it, and it, it does have to be built on, on realism uh, because the, you know, the end goal, of course, is, uh, is, is not to, you know, not to miss up. And I'd also say with the signals, if especially if people have a lot of students at their program, like Antonia said, you need to work, you know, the students really need to work together because they are going to shoot themselves in the feet if they don't do it. And no program, if there are 15 students from Northwestern, nobody is going to interview 15 students. They're going to interview one, two, possibly three. Nobody is going to interview 15 students. So if everyone works together, that is the best chance that I think students have. For those who may be listening and are like, all right, I've kind of heard enough. I think I have everything. I implore you, the best is yet to come. So right now, I'd really like to put it out there and hear from you. Now we're talking about candidates who have failed to match in your experience. Give me the insight. Why do these candidates, why did they not succeed? What are the the, the reasons? Well, that's like a million dollar question, right? So um, I, I think you can break them into categories. There's the, I have no idea why you didn't match. You see them amazing, right? There's candidates who, who like Chris mentioned, they they shot for the the you know the top 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 on paper programs and it really was in a you know. Um, but I think really if you dig down to it, you think about you know a lot of students you know will reach out you know um, we've all done these kind of like panels and stuff you know nationally and the students will call you and say say hey would you look at my application and I think that the biggest things you look at are what could they not control and and what can they control. So they maybe didn't get to know anyone in their department very well. They didn't advocate for themselves. They weren't involved, right? Every every department has an ortho interest group, you know, and, you know, ultimately when it comes down to it, there was no one who could be their advocate, 
You know, um, I think you can get around not a you know small number of publications. No one has grades. No one knows what your board scores are. Everyone, you know, ninety percent of your class gets honors in internal medicine. So all that stuff is equal. So really, it boils down to: Did you take the time? And this is unfair, but to express an interest and get involved and get to know people who can really advocate to you. So to me, not having an advocate is the number one controllable reason people don't match. Monica, what do you think? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, there's so many factors, you know, I mean, is it the CV? Is it, you know, the grades? Is it your class rank? Some places have class rank, but they don't have grades or, you know, they, they have different methods of like stating where, where the students are. Is it the way they performed on rotations? You know, I mean, an average orthopedic resident or medical student is an above average medical student. So you are being compared with the best of the best. And so I'd say, you know, when students ask me, what does it take to be a good medical student? I despise that question because you really have to figure it out for yourself. And I usually say, look at a good resident and that's what you should aspire to be. So it's not just showing up on time. When people say what makes a good medical student, showing up on time, you know, reading, like that's what your job is. Like that's what a medical student is supposed to do. It's going above that. And I think that if medical students are just, you know, kind of phoning it in or just doing the bare minimum on their away rotations, I think that that hurts them. I'm glad you said that you hate that question, Monica, because I hate that question. And it's almost like, okay, I'm going to give you the blueprint to be a good med student and you're going to go out there and you're going to be the best med student. And guess what? That doesn't work. It doesn't work because people's reality, it, it's going to come through. They, they can put on a show for just for, for just so long. And then their real tendencies are going to come out. So uh, I, I think what's the reason that they don't match? I think it's just a, a poor performance on, on a sub-I. And I actually, re, I, I hate to say a poor performance because we've had some, some folks who weren't a good match for us, but they were a good match someplace else. You know, what's not a good match for us? If you come to our program, yeah, you have to do Scott. You have to work hard, even though we're ivory tower, you know, we're Harvard. You have to bust your ass in our program. And there are other programs that have to, you also have to bust your ass, but there are some that you don't. And you are a consultant and you can walk around in a, in a sport coat or, you know, something civilized. There's a reason that there are so many programs because they're not all the same. We, we've talked about unrealistic applicants. Uh, I'll tell you just one one story of an unrealistic applicant. This was someone who came and did a rotation with us because that applicant had a dream that he should go to Harvard. That was not a good decision because that applicant had none of the other qualifications to to be even in the realm and did a poor performance on on a sub I. So that's just not that that was just bad advice. Now we also have a lot of a lot of candidates who are coming from programs that don't have or uh, home orthopedic residency programs. That's a huge disadvantage. And you know, God bless them. They're trying to rotate it at some great places, and they're increasing their chances, hopefully. But that's that is a a big factor in in not matching because they don't have someone who's going to give them good advice. They don't have an advocate, and they're probably not coming up with. Uh, sub I selections that are reasonable. Antonia, if you've mentored, I know you mentor a lot of students. If you've seen some who haven't matched, what's your forensic after action assessment? 
It's one of those hard things where there's really good candidates who are probably just ranked right below all the people that matched beforehand. And it just sometimes it's, I hate to say this, but it's bad luck, right? There's also candidates, and I always tell people, people you want to be eager and available, but not too eager and not too available, right? And that's a very hard, fine line to, to match, you know? And I really like what Monica said about, you know, see a good resident. And people talk about good residents all the time and go be that person, right? And I think that's true, not just for applying for residency, that's true for applying for fellowship, that's true for applying for jobs, that's true for being in committees. It's, you know, you emulate someone who you respect and you know is doing a really good job and you will win in that area. For those who don't match, I always say, um, go back and see what's missing in your resume, right? So potentially you have one or two research projects. Well, then maybe you should go do a research year and then go get some more re- uh, research on your resume. And then you get to know other people. Let's say you have a billion research applic- uh, things, but no one really wrote about your surgical skills or your clinical skills. And then go to as many labs as you can, Get really get into that area and then have someone. And I think the whole point of Craig is saying is like, you want people to advocate for you. You need to find an advocate. So if you don't match, Go back and find an advocate over that next year in whatever area that you're most weak about. And I think the most important thing is kind of what we all talked about from the beginning. You have to be very critical about yourself. Don't just be hard on yourself, but be very critical and say, this is where I need to improve. I think a lot of us, we we know that we have a lot of applicants who are given participation trophies all their lives, you know, and you're told that you're really good and you are really good. Again, all these students are incredibly above, not just above average, like well beyond above average, right? I say, if I applied right now for residency, I probably wouldn't be accepted. But that said, you do have to stand up above your peers and how do you do that? And how do you differentiate yourself? You know, and it doesn't have to be just in orthopedics. This goes back to what Chris said in the beginning, right? It's like, you know, go out and do something different. Go solve world peace. You know, go travel to somewhere else and do something different, which really does different yourself. Um, it does tie back to your love for orthopedics. So I saw people you know, really seek deeply as to why you didn't match. And don't just say, well, the system's against me and I'll never match again. But there are ways to do it and dust yourself off and you can do it again. I would say, um, in my experience, it comes down to a, a bad application strategy. And the root cause of the bad application strategy is overconfidence. They don't have either their, their, they don't have mentors or their mentors were not honest with them about this is what you actually need to do if you want to be successful in this match. You're not just applying to the elite programs. You're not just applying in one particular region. You're applying broadly. You're applying widely. You're applying in a way that reflects your narrative and goals. You want to be uh, an academic person, but you don't have a lot of research. That's just, it's just not going to, that narrative isn't going to make sense to people who are interviewing you. Uh, If you flip that, Andrew, though, um, uh, until the signals, they all apply to every program. So, uh, right. So, I mean, there has to be now, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's I'm only going to signal the top program, but before it was everyone applying to every program. And so uh, again, so it's if you don't get a lot of interviews, there's got to be a reason. And and it's to your point, it's maybe the arrogance of not putting together, you know, the application and doing the small things that you need to get those interviews. All right. We're at the lightning round. We're going to go around starting with Chris, Monica, Craig and Antonia. What is your best tip for the residency match? Best tip for the residency match is put in your application something that is totally unique to you that someone who's reviewing your application is going to remember and it's something that you want to talk about when you're on an interview i would say to crush your away rotations but don't ask me how to be a good medical student 
yeah, I would say get involved early and uh, and find mentors who can help you figure out you know your why, and then try to be able to relate that for why you want to be in a specific place and and make sure you're applying to programs that that match your why that are going to make you the orthopedist that you want to be. Right, simple. Find someone who can call on your behalf. All of these are are really great. Mine, I, I think, just builds a little bit on what Craig said is at every place that you're applying to and every place that you get an interview, make sure it's clear to them why you are a good fit and why you want to be there. What is it about your career arc and that you envision being a part of their program? That, folks, is um, the end of what I think was an incredibly informative, really rich session. Thank you, Chris, Craig, and Monica for the time that you spent with us. and the incredibly deep uh, and valuable insights um, demystifying this process for, for, for our listeners. Antonia, as always, uh, can't do it without you. For those who liked what they heard and you want to hear more, but a little bit more on the science side, check out our, our back issues or what's coming next. Be sure to like and subscribe and don't hesitate to, uh, to reach out with your match questions. I think uh, Antonia is happy to answer any and all that come through. Thanks for Thanks volunteering. For listening. Mandatory volunteering. I'm in. That's right. That's right. Uh, you were voluntold. Thanks for listening. And uh, we're not putting the uh, residency match on hold, but we'll always be here at your cases on hold. <laughs> <laughs>